Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome. It's so great to have all of you tune us in and turn us on. I know we're all coming off of what? The People's Choice Awards, the 2021 People's Choice Awards. Uh, and Benny, just I just want to give you a shout out. Just when you think the crust-busting award that we gave Christina Aguilera how many gazillion years ago, that thing I had to pull out and dust that thing off. <laughs> well, if it was a gazillion years ago, I would expect that too. Oh, my gosh. And so for those of you out there, yes, I live in one foot in the pop culture world and one foot in the world that nobody can describe. That's what I love about myself. But I must give a shout out to uh, my one of my favorites. Thank you, Black Widow. Jessica is so happy because who dressed up as Black Widow for Halloween? Thank you, Scarlett Johansson, for standing up for yourself. But more importantly, thank you all for such immense gratitude in everything you do. And my very special guest today, you know what I'm grateful for, Benny? Gail Tour. I met Gail Tour 18 years ago when this was all happening. And I was so ignorant about how any of this was supposed to work. All I knew was myself and Deepak Chopra, we were in Plainfield, New Jersey at the same time when we were about the same age. And somehow in my mind, I just thought it'd be great to interview the guy. And Gail Tour was one of the first people I met that never questioned what this message was about, what the conversation we're about to have with Peter Coyote is about, what it means to bring such amazing people, thought leaders, people that are in the world, people that are right out there in front, really speaking from their hearts, really sharing from their minds. You know, the expression is game changer. Expression has to do with how we step out in the world. Now there's a new expression as an influencer. But what I love is having conversations like I'm about to have with Peter. He's a fabulous book, The Lone Ranger and Tonto Meet Buddha. This is how I, env I envision meeting Buddha. Peter, if you don't know who he is, award-winning actor, director, just Emmy winner, was in one of my all-time favorite uh, films with one of my favorite friends, Dee Wallace, but he is so much more. And today we're going to find out how you get to live the life that he's lived, how you get to find out, one, that you have a mask, what does it mean to take it off? And when you do, can you really allow yourself to feel liberated? Today's book, his message, his work, you know, what he's bringing forward now is so needed in the world. And I got to tell you, I'm honored to have him on the show. Peter, it's great to have you. Good to have you on the show. 
Thank you so much. It's so nice to be here. Um, I got to ask you, uh, this is a question I've been asking people for a long time. And it stems from the fact that I was very depressed when I dialed that wrong phone number. But I read how successful you are. I read a little bit about what your journey may have been like. I fill in the blanks myself, of course, with imagination. But I would love to know, especially in the context of this book, what challenges, what obstacles did you have to overcome to bring you to this very moment? Well, <laughs> to reach this very moment, I had to be very lucky because I did about everything I could do to destroy myself. But so I had a troublesome childhood. <clears throat> Lots of people do. I had a very violent and dangerous father, a mother who was so clinically depressed. She had a nervous breakdown that I was basically raised by a black family for 11 years. I didn't really get close to my white mom until I was in my thirties. And, um, I was kind of scarred by growing up in a house with a deeply unhappy woman. I kept trying to reach through the fog and make her laugh or make her pay attention to me. And she was suffering a great deal. So, and then I had difficulties with violence and anger um, at my dad's hands. So I spent 10 years a heroin addict and living in the counterculture and pursuing every vision of you know, freedom that I could imagine. And then when I was about 35, the counterculture had ended. I turned out I was the father, a single father of a daughter whose mother had run away. And I had responsibilities. And I sort of saw that I was really a prisoner of my own mind. Mm. Um, I had, you know, I had had three girlfriends at the same time. I had taken all the drugs. I had not had a job since I graduated from college. And that was not freedom. I didn't really understand what freedom was. So I, uh, I had somebody die that I, I got high with. Uh, I woke up and there was a dead guy across the table. We'd gotten high. And I realized if that was me, my daughter would wind up in the state. And it just scared me to death. And I called a doctor and I got enough Dolaphine to get over the sickness and to quit heroin. And I interviewed about six psychotherapists until I found somebody I wanted to be like. I worked with him for two years. He died. I started all over with another guy. But through all this time, I kept meditating and kept practicing Buddhism. And so this, this book today is actually a it's actually a way of my learning how to express Buddhism in an American sense. The problem with Zen is that we always think about it as Japanese. And in every culture that Buddhism went to, starting in India, it came out of a Hindu culture. So it had to wrap itself in gift wrapping that the Hindus understood, or they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't accept it. Then it went to China and it had to wrap itself in aspects of Taoism and Confucianism, so that the Chinese people would accept it. Then it went to Japan, did the same thing, went to Tibet, did the same thing. Well, one of the things that I've been searching for in my newest book, not the one we're talking about today, the a book I'm writing now is called Vernacular Zen. Mm. And vernacular means what's the common language of everyday people? 
And so what I want to do is I want to loosen the gift wrapping of Japan with its authoritarianism and its hierarchy and its exoticism. And I want to talk about and expose the gift in ways that average Americans are going to understand who are never going to shave their heads. They're never going to wear robes. And so The Lone Ranger and Tonto is two books in one. Uh, do you want me to leave you space to ask another question? I is don't. Is too long an answer? No, I want you to rock on. Okay. I, I am like totally in your zone right now. Okay. And, you know, and I'm, I'm holding back because honestly, we could be a brother and sister by a different mother and brother or something. Our, our stories are not exact, but boy, did I feel your pain in some of that. Well, we're all human beings. Yeah. And the first, the first noble truth of Buddha is that suffering exists. It's not your imagination. It's not a spiritual deficiency. Affliction exists. We're all facing a stiff wind that's full of pepper. And that's just a fact of human life. And he called it a noble truth. Yeah. And truth means, first of all, real, if it means anything. And noble means worthy of respect and worthy of dignity. And the respect and dignity is, it's what keeps us moving. So the second noble truth is called arising. And when we're afflicted, thoughts arise. Somebody cuts us off in the car. We want to flip them the bird. We want to beat them into next Tuesday. That's okay. We're not responsible for that. It's what we do with that that we're responsible for. So the third noble truth is called containment, neuroda. And it means it's a, it's a clay wall around the fire pit. And it stops the fire from getting out and burning down the village. And what you learn from meditating, what you learn from Buddhist philosophy, is that all of these things are transient. Your thoughts, your impulses, your sensations, and you can learn how to contain them. And if you contain that fire, just the way a motor contains gasoline explosions, you can do good work, which is the eightfold path. Yeah. So this book does two things. I realize that the problem for most people is getting out of their own way. Most people are self-critical or they're shy or they're embarrassed to put themselves forward or the ones who aren't should be. And I realized there were some, there were some uh, agreements between acting training and improv training and Buddhist practice. And one of the things I learned, and I've been running these classes for 45 years, I think I'm the only person in the world that does this this way, is I spend about half a morning moving people through different exercises, improvs and things that stress their idea of who they are. It makes, makes them nervous or it makes them have to do things in rhythm and speak without thinking and change their posture. And all those things show them what feels right to them and what feels wrong to them. And so what that shows them is the edge of the self mm -hmm. and the self that they've created over a lifetime that they tend to think of as a real thing is not tangible at all. There's no organ inside us that corresponds to a self. It's just an awareness. And once you understand that, you can understand that most of what you are, that you call yourself, are your habits and your likes or your dislikes or your neutrality. But that self is afloat in a vast universe 
to which it's completely attached. You've never been free of oxygen, of water, of right. sunlight, of microbes in the soil growing your food, all the way out to the Earth's place in the solar system. If we were closer to the sun, water would burn off and we wouldn't be here. If we were farther away, it would freeze. And the Earth is being held where it is by all the gravitational forces of the universe. So as much as you represent yourself and I represent myself as a single isolated awareness, that's only half the story. The other half the story is we represent the entire universe yeah. because we can't exist without it. So what this book is, is two things. It's explanation of these classes that I run, give people the exercises they can do at home to find a much broader, wider interpretation of who they are, yeah. to explore the feelings of who they're not and find out they're not so frightening, they're not so terrible. And then when I put a mask on you and I hold a mirror up to you, in 45 years, it's never failed that if you move a little bit, you just adjust in the mirror, your personality will disappear and you will see a persona in the mask yeah. that you'll somehow understand everything about. I can interview you about your brothers, your sisters, your history, what you want, and you will no longer have shyness, self-consciousness, self-criticism, negative self-imagery. And so you'll have 10 minutes of completely sober liberation. And you'll do that three times with three different masks. And by the end of that half hour or so of experiencing that freedom without drugs, without alcohol, yep. with nothing, I can talk to you about the fact that there is no fixed self. And I can say, if you want to reclaim this, you need to learn how to meditate and you need to understand how the universe actually works, which is what Buddha's description will give you. Yeah. And so that's half the book. The other half of the book was to take it out of ideas. And I got this idea of the Lone Ranger and Tonto, whose <laughs> scriptwriter died. And they were lost in the desert. They're traveling around. They're out of work. They're overweight. The horses are lame. They're fat and bloated. And they see Buddha sitting under a, a mesa, under a cottonwood tree. And they go riding over to get some water or something to eat. And he jumps up and he takes such perfect care of the horses that the Lone Ranger says, he must be the servant of a very wealthy man. Let's stay around till his master comes. We'll hit him up for a loan. Maybe he'd want to invest in a movie. <laughs> the Buddha sees right through this. And little by little, he sucks them into what they're thinking. And he gets them to build a treasure house out of stones. He makes them work, gets them back in shape, teaches them to meditate. And each one has a kind of enlightenment experience that changes their life. And so I did that to show in a kind of lighthearted and comedic way yeah. how we, the Lone Ranger plays a kind of entitled white guy from the 1950s, you know, with all On of the his white horse, right? Yeah, Did with all his horse? prejudices yeah. and entitlements and stuff. And Tonto plays a human being, a Mohawk who's pretending to be a, a Plains Indian. That's right. So the, the chapters interweave. So that in between the kind of lessons that are a little strict, you get these this comedy of how people actually change. I got to tell you something. When I read the book, I read it twice. 
Uh, I always read the book the first time. Um, I'm, I'm really good at absorbing things, right? Um, and then I went back and one of the things that I, I, it hit me like a rock. It was, oh my gosh, how powerful is this? And I thought to myself, Jessica, myself, and Linda, the three amigos, as uh, we've been called, I thought, what if we were to explore this? Now, Jessica will tell you, she's, up for, she's producing the show today. She is the genius behind all of our technology, everything that works right, uh, and our future. She will tell you, if you came into my house today, you would find more masks in this small space. And I've never understood my fascination to them until I read the book. Uh-huh. And then I started to think, this is available for everyone. This yeah, there's not many people teaching it is the problem. This, this, well, that's what I'm asking you. I hope you plan to get out there and do something with this. I actually do. I'm hoping that I the hope book you do. is going to make people, what I need people to do, I can only do this to about 14 people at a time. Okay. In and person, so, though, right? Or do you say what? In person? In person, yeah. Yes, of course. Um, yeah. I've done it on. I've done it online in Zoom. It's yep. not quite as effective, but it's it's pretty good. It's an eighty-five or ninety percent. Um, what I'm hoping is that people will contact me, and I can have them assemble a group of twelve to fourteen people, and yeah. I'll I'll go there. We'll <gasps> figure out what it'll cost me to go. Really? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, I'll charge something for my time and I'll teach this because if I could travel free and do this for free, I probably would. I teach Buddhism for free. Oh, my gosh. I'm already thinking about how to make this happen. Uh, okay. Because in and uh, believe me, Jessica's listening now. So so Jessica's <laughs> Jessica's worst nightmare. She shared this with someone that's joining our network is whenever I walk in. And I say, oh, my God, I had a great idea. I had a great dream last <laughs> night. So she's actually hearing this. Because let me tell you why I think this is important from my perspective, Peter. And you did such a beautiful job summarizing it. I couldn't have done that that way. Um, what I know about what my experience was in going through this and, and uh, attempting to experiment a little bit, you know, was the idea of a way to deepening the exploration. See, I love right. that. I loved that. Now, it, it's almost like I, I can't wait to get back to it. And I'm going back east. We had a death in the family and I'm going back east uh, for the holidays. And I'm, I'm bringing this with me because what you are doing and you're right. I don't know anybody that's doing this. The closest I could think of a person doing something like this was my mentor who used to take people out in the desert. She passed away very unexpectedly. But the world needs this kind of thing now, see? Because we're not the same, and yet we are the same. Well, let me give you a tool that Please. you and Jessica and your friends can practice. I do this on when I teach Zoom classes. Let's do it. So you take your phone and don't do it right now. Yeah, no. Take your phone and make a funny face <laughs> and photograph it. All right. And that face is your mask. Oh, and look at that face and try to find a voice for it. 
and try to express that being that's in the mask. And then just walk around in your own house as that person for a little while and look at how your house looks to you. One of the amazing things is once you get out of your own way, everything is new, like you're a child. Yeah. So for instance, I teach at a voiceover school four times a year. I run a master class and I would run this course in the morning. And then in the afternoon, I would sit with students in the studio while they would read scripts. And the only thing I ask is that they'd never seen the script before. So they would read the script and they'd been studying voiceovers and they were pretty good and pretty professional, but neither the boss of the school nor I thought that they were finished. So I let them try it. And then I'd say, okay, I want you to read this in the voice of one of the characters you discovered in the mask. And they would read it and it was electrifying. Yeah. It would come completely alive. The entire class would sit up and it was breathtaking because it was unique. And then I'd say, okay, that's the wrong voice for this ad. You know, <laughs> you, you wouldn't use Tony Soprano to sell Rolls Royces, but you've gotten out of your own way. Now read it in your own voice. And whenever they read it in their own voice, all the surprise would be there, all the music, all the everything. Because when they read the first time, they were trying to be good. And they had yeah. an idea of good. And they were imitating somebody else. They were not being authentic. And Oscar Wilde said, be yourself. Every other role is taken. Ugh. Right? So all I'm teaching people to do is how to get out of their own way so they can get outside of their personality and go into the big reservoir that your spinal telephone is plugged into. And I've been doing this for 45 years, and I've watched people change and change and change and become more confident about who they are, more relaxed, more playful, more improvisatory. And you can get a sense by doing this on your cell phone. And just, you know, try it alone. Just be that person that you saw in the <laughs> photograph and just, oh my God, what's this on my desk? Oh what's my this? gosh. It'll blow your mind. It is hilarious. I'm so glad you put it that way because not only is the book that clear about what the power is of doing what's in here, but what you're doing, for me at least, um, you put this in language that I got. I mean, I got it. I didn't have to go back and read this, read the paragraph. Well, it's easy to forget that humans are like flesh radios turn, tuned into human frequency. I got that right away. You wrote that yeah. in the book. I got that. And that's what has been so difficult about trying to bring this message forward. You know, well, so here's the thing. Like people have a lot of crazy ideas, just misinformed. <laughs> <Not> me. <laughs> just look at the vaccines. People have a lot of crazy ideas. One of the crazy ideas that they have is that there's a state called enlightenment, which is on the other side of some kind of fence that separates us yeah. from it. Well, that's not true. Buddha never said that. What separates us from enlightenment is our bad habits and our indulgences, but enlightenment exists in this world of birth and death. Mm. It's not some cotton candy kingdom where we jump over a fence in our life, you're going to have the same problems in your life after enlightenment that you had before, but you're going to have different skills for dealing with them. 
They're not going to be as oppressive. You're going to understand that you live in a much broader universe. So I'll give you an example. Yeah. I used to feel like I was trapped in a closet with my father. This, I mean, this was a truly dangerous guy. It was beating yeah. men senseless in his 60s, being sued by two 25-year-olds because he broke their arms and legs when they got in a fight with him. So I used to feel like I was locked in a closet with him. So 50 years later, now I feel like we're exploring Yosemite at the same time, not even together. And occasionally we cross paths. And because the pressure's off, I can actually begin to remember some of the kind things he did and some of the wonderful teachings that he gave me. And I can see him in a much bigger field. But it's not like suddenly I was bulletproof to suffering or bulletproof to difficulty. So that's one problem. So when people meditate, they think they're supposed to stop their mind. Yes. That's not true. Right. It's a complete no. <laughs> mistake. What you're learning when you meditate is how to detach from your thoughts so that your mind can be your mind and just do what it wants. And you're not jerked around left and right by every thought that comes to you. And when you do that over and over, the mind slows down. But the first time you sit and actually see without distraction, how busy your mind is, it scares people. So you're not going to reverse a lifetime of habits in one sitting. It's a cumulative practice. But I guarantee you, if you sit for 20 to 25 minutes a day, upright, relaxed, just following your exhale slowly, within one month, you'll feel like the lid's been taken off the pressure cooker. You'll feel like you're inhabiting a much bigger universe where your thoughts come more slowly, you can deal with stuff. So I try to answer these questions as well in, in this book and the next book, why we want to be, uh, why we want to let the mind alone. Yeah. The mind is our connection to the wisdom of the universe. I want to talk with you about that when we come back from break, because okay. see, what you just mentioned, right? If, if you all listening to the show, if you're just tuning in, and by the way, uh, Olivia and Jessica are showing pictures of the book as we speak. It's right here. Uh, and Peter, let's just take a minute. One, you got all of us thinking, how are we going to get Peter here? And so we're going to be working on that. Um, but how do we find out about the book? How do people find out about you? How did they get the book? Because this book, for me, when I think about this and I hear all my friends and listeners call me an email and they talk about, let me just put it in my words, real stuckness. When I'm reading this book, and there was one thing in particular I went back and I read again, and I said, oh, that's got to be for me. This is a way, in my language, to literally eradicate that. And what I mean by that is our stuckness, or at least mine in my life, has come from fear-based thoughts. Sure. It is, right? I mean, and, you know, the same mind that can create a, net, a positive talk radio network is the same mind in the next minute that could have that network completely annihilated in fiction. So That's when exactly we, so right. <laughs> there's a good news and bad news, right? How do we find out about you? How do people get a hold of you? Because we have a lot of people that work in corporations or self-employed. And what you just shared about what you'd be willing to do is going to be important to them. So how do we get a hold of you and how do we get the book? Okay. So the book is in, went into 
uh, pre-release on the 7th. It's available on Kindle yeah. right now through yeah. Amazon. It's being released uh, December 14th. I would urge you to buy it from an independent bookstore. You know, if you if you don't have to buy it online, don't. Um, but buy it from a, a little private bookstore, which is what's keeping literature and books alive. You can find yeah. out about me, simple. Just go to petercoyote.com. I mean, or IMDB, if you want to read about my film stuff. But I've retired from films. You know, I didn't like, honestly, I didn't like celebrity. It got tiresome. Uh, people treated you differently. They were either too aggressive or too deferential. And as soon as my kids were out of graduate school with no debt, I quit. And I'm a full-time Buddhist priest and writer. Yeah. yeah. So, I tell you, I, I got this idea. I don't know how I'm going to make it work. I got to have both you and Dee Wallace come back on the same show. Only okay. because it's so fascinating to me, as you say it in the book, seeing for the first time, it's so fascinating when I think about here we are. You know, people thought I was dead. They didn't even try to find me for my high school reunion. They thought she's got to be dead or locked up. Uh, and, and then they Googled me and it was fascinating. But this book, please get it. Go get the Kindle version if you want, because I know a lot of you take the phones, go do that. But this is the kind of book, and Peter said it best. I got to talk to Gail Tor. This is a book you want to share. You want to share it with your friends. You want to go through this perhaps and understand how you might step into seeing for the first time with another. But it is a journey, my words, my opinion. You got to be the fearless for this when you see in yourself. We're going to take a short break when we come back. You gave me an idea, Pat. Uh, okay. oh, about, good, about, good. All about right. an online class. You got to do it. I'm going to talk to you and Gail. All right. After the show. Let's take a short break, Benny. Uh, and Benny will tell you how really awful I used to be at voiceovers. He would coach me and I'm doing a voiceover and he'd say, no, you got to say it differently. So I thought that means you got to yell louder. <laughs> and we spent more <laughs> or time Or I had laughing. to massage it a little bit better for you. It's all good. Oh, my better. gosh. How, how many times did we laugh? <laughs> Plenty. Oh, my gosh. Let's <laughs> take a short break, everybody. When we come back, I'm going to give a copy of the book away because I do have my Kindle version and I really would love for somebody to get this book so that you too could see for the first time. Peter Coyote, I'm Dr. Pat. Short break. We'll be right back. I promise. Want to ignite your best life full of joy, passion, and purpose? Then join me, Stephanie James, for The Spark, Wednesday nights, 6 o'clock Pacific time, 9 o'clock Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com and learn how together we can illuminate the world. Learn more on StephanieJames.world. The best is yet to come. Champion your life with me, Leanne Champion, first and third Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time on TransformationTalkRadio.com. That new gym membership might help you get fit, but what about emotional fitness? Jump into the rushing waters of personal growth. Don't waste another minute feeling unfulfilled. Visit ChampionYourLife.com and let's do this together. It's time to get your life back. 
on Burn Bright Today with Jennifer Marcinelli. Tune in each month on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Learn to move from the darkness of burning out to the light of burning bright. Jennifer is redefining stress and the energetic causes of burnout, shining a light on process to get your life back. For more information about Jennifer and her work, visit BurnBrightToday.com. Are you feeling lost in this journey we call life? When you awaken the truth of your patterns, limitations, and beliefs, you can start to heal relationship with yourself, others, and your circumstances. I'm Ritika Rose, life coach, author, and speaker. My mission is to help you align with your most powerful, authentic self and transform how you experience your inner and outer world. Find the confidence and peace to live the highest version of your life. Visit RitikaRose.com. Parenting isn't about perfection. I think we all know that. Parenting is about being present and honest, having compassion for your child and for yourself, communicating consciously and loving unconditionally. Tune in to The Awakened Parent Project with Susan Dolce every first and third Tuesday at noon Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Learn to be an empowered parent through the techniques of the conscious parenting community. To learn more about Susan, visit SusanDolce.com. Healing has a ripple effect. One person's healing affects everyone around them. This is where the power of sharing our stories can be so important. Tune in to Playing on the Edge Radio with Megan Edge each month on Transformation Talk Radio as Megan provides you with ways of sustaining radical and powerful changes in your life. Enact the power of radical change. To find out more about Megan Edge, visit her website at meganedge.ca. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. It's so great to have all of you tune us in and turn us on. I'm so thrilled to have Peter Peter Coyote joining us here today. Again, I want to remind everybody, see this book right here? Yep. It is The Lone Ranger and Tano Meet Buddha. Uh, it is available or will be available. Please go to your local bookstore if you can. But Peter, you just shared that the audio version is going to be available. And if people want to contact you directly, if they want to bring you into their company or their cities, you said you have a way for them to do that. Yeah, too. I do. And I'll give you that email. Yeah. It's SF like San Francisco, Zen, Z-E-N, Coyote at gmail.com. SFZenCoyote at gmail.com. Okay. And so I, you know, I teach I love this. It. I'm available. I can only do classes of about 12 to 14, but That's I'll good. tell you what has to be done to make them happen. And I'm also, I've also done it online, but it's not quite as effective. I did it yeah. all during the pandemic, but it's much better to be in a room together. Oh my gosh, it is. It is so much better. Um, there's nuances and the movement of energy right? There's something about, I mean, this is great, but there's something about being in the presence of the energy that is so important. Um, Look, there's so much I could ask you about. I'm excited for your book that's coming out. Go ahead. Yes. But but this, (laughs) this, when you talked about seeing for the first time, I just cried. You know, I used to have a, a, my first serious love affair was with a girl named Jessie Benton. And her father was the American painter, Thomas Hart Benton, very famous painter during the 30s and 40s. He did these kind of wavy portraits of pioneers and people living rustic American life. He was Truman's favorite painter. 
And one day I was sitting at his house and I was watching him paint a self-portrait. And the self-portrait looked very, very strict and stern. And I said, Tom, why, why is it, why do you look so serious and stern? Because what he was doing was he would look into a mirror and then he would look back and paint what he saw. And he was the person that said to me, a painter is always trying to see for the first time. So when he looked in the mirror, he was being incredibly focused and intense. He wasn't just looking casually. He had the totality of his attention fixed on that reflection. And that's what he was drawing. And that's what made it come out as such an intense figure. Wow. So seeing for the first time is sort of seeing without ideas, without concepts, without predetermined stuff. And it's hard to do. And, you know, and let's talk about that, because one of the things you said earlier that you also talk about in your book is the misconception about Buddhism. Okay. The misconception about the idea and this, and you're right. Almost everyone you speak with will tell you their view, except the people that really understand this, but they, they'll tell you their impression and they'll explain to you why they haven't been able to do it because they'll talk about the fact that they've never been able to stop their mind. Yeah, well, they've death been... will stop their mind. Yes. <laughs> or near death. <laughs> yeah, um, that'll take care of it. And I would always ask, who told think? you to stop your mind? Exactly. That, and isn't that the question where we get things from and how we process them? But I want to ask you this question. What do you think Buddha's thinking right now about us? Buddha's thinking what I'm thinking. There's no difference between me and Buddha or you and Buddha. Buddha said that we're all enlightened yeah. and we have these things that are in the way. Sorry, that's my phone. Just a minute. Sorry that's about okay. that. That's all right. Um, so, you know, when I'm, I'm what's called a transmitted teacher which means that after I was ordained as a priest, about five years after that, my teacher transmitted his authority to me. And he gave me the authority to ordain my own lineage of priests. And it's a, it's a sign of like deep, deep intimacy between the teacher and the pupil. They used to say, your eyebrows have tangled with Buddha's eyebrows. So I'm not saying that I'm, on a, that I'm as pure as the Buddha was, but my basic essence, your basic essence, is enlightened. It's the pregnant energy of the universe that's always becoming forms. Mm -hmm. Here, here's an image to think about. Okay. Imagine you were standing on a cliff and looking at a really choppy little ocean. Not long rollers, but millions of little tiny wavelets. Each of those wavelets could be a human life. Each of those wavelets could be any named thing in the universe. They rise up out of the formlessness of the ocean. They assume a shape for a while. In human beings, we call that living. Mm. Then they settle back into the ocean. In human beings, we call that dead. But what those little waves forget, and what we forget, is that they've never, for one instant, not been part of the ocean. The ocean pushes them up as little waves. They fall back. It goes over and over and over again. The little wave is not a repetition of another wave. It's a new entity. And so in the same way that water and steam and water and ice are the same things, 
we are the same thing as the essential energy of the yeah. universe. We're made by the thing that made hummingbirds and sunsets and mm -hmm. dolphins and gazelles and Mother Teresa and Hitler and Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. And so if we have any less of an idea of ourselves, we've made a box. It's like pouring, you can't pour a quart into a half pint pitcher. The quart is reality, is all of it. The half pint pitcher is our little idea of who we are. So one of the things that meditating does is it relaxes the boundaries of the self. It lets it soften. It lets us actually sometimes step outside of it for a while because the self only has three options. We either like what we see, we don't like what we see, or we're neutral about it. Mm -hmm. But reality is infinite options. Every contradiction is contained within the big picture. And if we don't know that we're a part of that, then we don't know that we are as dangerous as Hitler or Donald Trump or whoever your guy is, yeah. because we're humans. And as humans, anything that any human can do could come through us. And if we think we're the good guys, it means we've cut our shadow side away. And so we put it on other people. We say, oh, it's the, the Iraqis. Oh, it's the Afghans. Oh, it's the, this one's, the that one's, the Chinese, the Russians. If we don't know that we are fully human, we don't know how dangerous we are. And we don't know how careful we have to be. And so mindfulness, you hear people talk about it a lot. It's not just a process that you can train employees to make better widgets. The point of mindfulness is to monitor what you're thinking and feeling so that negative stuff doesn't get past your teeth or doesn't get into your behavior and your muscles. That's why we're mindful. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about what I would ask you, what I would talk to you about. And of course, there's so much in the book. But there's also something, a nuance, something powerful. Once upon a time, you were in a little TV show, which actually was a big TV show that I would watch endlessly. Now, back then, I never thought in a million years I would ever meet you ever. But your performance in that show even as a young child, for me, I never forgot. And I never forgot the many faces of humanity. And there was one scene from that television show. What was the show? Twilight Zone. Uh-huh. It was, it was, I don't even know the year. I was only in one episode, you, I think. We're in one episode. Uh, but it was a powerful one, right? And I can remember the feeling and I got this reading your book. It was so interesting because I not, I not thought about that like in decades and I'm reading your book and I just got that feeling that I got when I watched that one episode you were in and the, the trapped nature of it, the trapped nature of what that episode was about. And for those of you out there, I'm not going to tell you the whole thing. Go ahead and Google it. You could go Google Peter Coyote, Twilight Zone, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. But see, I think what you're describing for so many people, Peter, is this trapped nature. Well, we are trapped in, you know, if you think that the self is an organ, 
that somehow in your body or in your mind or some mm -hmm. little place, mm -hmm. you're trapped. Yeah. Because that that idea is always smaller than reality. You know, it's true that we have a limited form and that we're not going to be in this form forever. But th that self is actually just an awareness. And the good news about that is that most of the things you don't like about yourself that you'd like to change are habits. And with a little bit of discipline and a little bit of regularity, you can build new habits. It's not like you were cast and the casting had a flaw in it. <laughs> That's why people who have a firm idea of themselves who say, I know who I am. Well, yeah, you can do that if you're well-rounded and half an inch in diameter. But if you're really plugged into the entire universe, what about discovering who you are every day by what you do? And so what Buddhists do is Buddhists accept that and we try to live by vows. Mm. We take vows of being kind and compassionate. And that governs our behavior. But we don't know who we are from one moment to the next because there's nothing permanent within us. So that's the good news. Yeah, I, I mean... I was criticized for a lot of years because I walked around saying, I don't know what I don't know about myself. And I said that because the first half of my life was kind of the way you described your life, you know, self-medicated, destructive behavior. That's why I said to you during the break, these people that were doing the, the reunion, the high school reunion at Plainfield. That's so funny. They, 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 they didn't even think to reach out to me until one of them said, we think she's alive. Right. <laughs> and, and it was the funniest conversation, Peter. It was like, hello, is this Pat, Pat Basili from Plainfield? I said, yeah, this is her. It, like Plainfield, New Jersey, the high school. Did you go to Plainfield, New Jersey? And I said, yes, I, I, I lived in Plainfield. She said, no. You're not dead. <laughs> I just thought, and I said, I grew up in Englewood for a good part of my did life. Did you? Yeah. And, and I said to her, "No, I'm not dead, but I got to tell you, I came darn close." <laughs> um, those habits. Yeah. It's not like we don't see them. No, they vex us, don't they? I mean, they you do. know, they vex us, but. One of the reasons is that we can't exactly think our way out of them. Oh, no. And right. so one of the things that meditating does, people think mm -hmm. meditating is for the mind, but actually meditating is for the body. And it gives the body the strength to withstand unpleasant mm -hmm. thoughts and feelings and impulses. If you think about it for a second, most of the harm that people do in the world comes from trying to flee uncomfortable thoughts, feelings, or impulses. It sends them to the bar. It sends them to illicit love affairs. It sends them to Las Vegas. It sends them to over shopping. It sends them to seeking wealth and status and power because they never actually learned they could go right through that discomfort. They yeah. could be there and they could be the boss of everything. They could actually be fearless about what's going on within them and gradually heal themselves and live a life they could be proud of with dignity and respect. Mm. You know, there's nothing dignified about being a drunk. There's nothing <laughs> dignified about being a junkie. Believe me. No, I've, I know. I've still got the clothes with cigarette holes burned in them. Yeah, believe me. I've, so, 
it's, right there with you. We need something to discipline us, just like how's training a puppy. The, the, the ancient Buddhists called our mind the monkey mind. It was just like we're always running after this nut and that thing. We're fascinated by our thoughts. But our thoughts are not the universe. Our thoughts are just a part of our existence. And until we can sit down and train that mind a little bit to always crap on the newspaper, we're in trouble. You know, somebody was asking me what I thought about uh, Albert Einstein, because I often use his quotes. And so one of the callers called in one day and they said, you're always talking about Einstein. You know, what, why do you talk about Einstein? I said, um, I don't know. And out of my mouth said, I think he was a closet Buddhist. Now, I don't even know what that means. But I think you're right. But that's what I a, think. I'll tell you a story. Yeah, I was. So the thing that I love about Albert Einstein was his humility. Uh, and I'm going to tell you a story about it. Please. I was flying on a plane and I was sitting next to a Polish man who it turned out had been Einstein's secretary for many, many years. And he told me the following story that Einstein was editing his unified field theory. And that was a formula which was going to account for the entire universe. And he was editing this paper that was in his lap and a beetle landed on the page. And Einstein watched this beetle and he became absorbed in this beetle. And he withheld the publication of the unified field theory for several years because he told his secretary, I have no idea what made this beetle, why it exists, why it's here, and how presumptuous is it in the face of that ignorance to reduce the universe to, a, to a, uh, an equation. Wow. So what, what humility that is. Yeah. We could all use a little bit more of it. Yeah. And, you know, part of this, too, I was really touched by that part of your book, because even though I don't think it's spelled out quite in that way, you know, when I think about the transformation that happens as we go through and we read and we actually do some of this, you know, I find for myself it was it would be extremely difficult to truly, truly show up as me and do yeah. exactly what you said. You know, is it would it be unseemly if I gave you the name of my two prior books because they tell no, a lot no, of please. That's I was just going to ask you. I have them here, but I was just going to ask you because this is a great time for people to get these books and give them as gifts. And I was going to ask you, let's tell people what the books are. Okay. How do we get this one? All right. And I would love to know your personal message. This hour went so quickly. Okay. Yeah, please so tell people. My first book was called Sleeping Where I Fall. And it was the whole story of leaving an upper middle class Jewish life and going 10 years into the radical edges of the counterculture mm -hmm. and what it actually looked like hard but fair, the good and the bad, not that it was all wonderful and mm -hmm. all great and not that it was all a disaster. The second book is called The Rain Man's Third Cure. Yeah. And it begins with the understanding that I needed wisdom in my life. And it's a book about mentors and teachers, all the men and women that really turned me around and changed my life. And both books have been recognized. The first one won a Pushcart Prize. Yeah. The second one was in the top five creative nonfiction in 2015. I'm proud of both those books. They're yeah. still in print. And um, 
If you really want to find out what the farthest out edges of the 60s were, read Sleeping Where I Fall. No kidding. If, if you want to find out about the search for wisdom and mentors, read The Rain Man's Third Cure. And if you want to find out how to get outside yourself, read The Lone Ranger and Tonto Meet Buddha. That's what I love about this. It's, they, they are a trilogy, so to speak, for me. I hope so. They are a trilogy of, of parts of a journey that we could choose to take in the exploration. And, you know, there's nothing more powerful than to really honor the journey. I want to thank you and honor your journey. I'd love to know what your personal message is, Peter, and what you'd like to leave us with today. Be kind, be patient, be compassionate. Anything can work. Mm -hmm. Communism could work if you were kind, patient, and compassionate. Mm -hmm. Capitalism could work mm -hmm. if we're kind. I say to people sometimes, you know what the problem with Buddhism is? It's got people in it. <laughs> <laughs> right? So we're the problem. And unless we can relax a little bit and soften our ideas and imagine what life is for other people, we're never going to be able to talk to one another and live with, if we don't live with each other, yeah. who are we going to live with? No, so that's right. I'd say practice kindness, practice compassion, and practice patience. Yeah. my One of my mentors, uh, Sedonia, used to say to me, listen, little girl, one thing you should get straight. You got to get on with living with people because honestly, nobody's going to give you your own planet. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly right. Hey, Peter, thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you thank so you, much, Pat. You. I hope it's you'll been come a back. Um, I want to make sure go to Peter, petercoyote.com. Please go. This is a book. And then Peter just mentioned two other books. Look, this is a great trilogy to put together. This is this is going to be wonderful to be able to gift somebody to pay it forward. The uh, other Peter, two are on audiobook. You can oh, find them all, everything. You can find them all on Amazon, but yeah. I prefer that you buy them from small independent bookstores. I know we still try to do that. Peter I'm Dr. Pat Gail Tour. Thank you, Gail. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And Thanks, we Pat. will be talking to all of you all about how we can make this event with Peter happen. Let's take a short break, everybody. We'll be right back.